Hello, everyone. Welcome to a brand new episode of Reliability It Matters. In today's episode, I'd like to welcome our very first guest, Shane Scriven. Shane is the Managing Director and Owner at SANS Asset Management and the Maintenance School. He is a mechanical engineer by qualification and a certified senior practitioner in asset management with the Asset Management Council of Australia. He is also a certified machinery lubrication engineer with the International Council of Machinery Lubrication, as well as a level one certified vibration analyst with the Mobius Institute. Welcome to the very first episode, Shane. I'm really glad to have you on. Hey, Akshay, yeah. Um, look, mate, thanks for, thanks for having me on. I'm really excited and um, you know, happy, happy to be talking about all things lubrication. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. Uh, Shane, uh, now in my introduction, have I missed out on anything important that you'd like to fill in? Uh, probably just maybe how I got, um, I suppose, into the field of, of reliability, actually. Absolutely, um, yeah. So like all of us, it's like such a common thing, isn't it? We all fall into it. Like very, very few people um, you know, like choose reliability. It tends to choose you. Um, so I, I started my reliability career as a vibration um, technician for um, SKF bearings and fortunate enough to travel Australia um, helping SKF's uh, clients with their um, bearing vibration and lubrication um, issues. Um, so it was really, really good, uh, really good experience for me and allowed me to understand a lot of different um, asset classes and but really also understand the challenges that uh, maintenance technicians have on a day-to-day -day basis when it comes to maintainability um, and achieving that reliability so it was really good good way to uh, get get my my feet in the door from, a, from an RE perspective and then moving into more leadership roles within the sugar industry and in the paper industry and then finally um, into consulting um, where I've had great um, exposure to a lot of clients, a lot of industries. So um, like everyone, I fell into it and it, it sort of got a hold of me, reliability engineering. And um, yeah, now I'm fortunate enough to, to run my own uh, company and you know, provide training services in both yeah, lubrication, vibration analysis and all, all things maintenance. So um, yeah, still it's great, great to be here, mate. Thank you. Oh, that is fantastic. That sounds really amazing, a progression from you know, early days on to where you are in a very short period of time, which is really um, encouraging and, and good to see. Uh, Shane, uh, with the, your experience in lubrication and vibration, uh, we get to hear a lot of questions and uh, about lubrication. Why is lubrication important for our assets? Uh, and what are the repercussions of getting it wrong? Yeah, right. well, it's probably a question. Why is it not important, right? <laughs> um, look, the the way the way I explain this uh, to to a lot of people is fundamentally um, lubricants, and therefore the the, the activity of lubrication. Um, it's it's got six primary functions, right? Um, so lubricants are reducing your wear. Um, of your assets, whatever whatever that is. It's reducing the friction um, within your assets. Um, it's potentially sealing um, your, your assets, uh, cooling them, um, cleaning them and preventing corrosion. So if you take, if you look at your question with respect to, you know, those, those functions, why is it so important? Well, 
with respect to wear, um, things wearing less and slower, that's a good thing. That's maximizing your assets life um, as much as possible. What's the repercussions of, of that? Well, if you get it wrong, they, they wear quick. That's not a good thing. That costs money. That can be risky from a safety perspective. You don't want that. Um, if we look at friction, right? Um, yeah, that, that's really important to keep friction to a low from a, a, an efficiency perspective, both from um, environmental and, and financial um, impacts. You start to think about cooling and sealing um, your assets re really key if, if your, your asset's not sealed, it's leaking, that's, that's an environmental issue, right? It's also going to cost you money. Um, if, it's, if it's not cool, well, it's not going to perform as intended. Now, the lubricant um, will, will start to break down and oxidise if it's not sitting at that right temperature. And then you know, cleaning and, and preventing corrosion, well, pretty obvious is there a clean asset is a happy asset. If we can prevent corrosion, especially in a lot of the industries I work in, where the assets you know, don't have a nice um, you know, air-conditioned room to operate in, you know, if you can control that corrosion and, and delay that corrosion as much as possible, um, that's a good case. So long long answer to your question, Akshay, but yeah, that's all good. It, it is key, mate. It is critical, and I, I don't believe it gets enough uh, attention and love in industry. I know. Um, that, that leads me into my second question for you. Now, as you mentioned, there's so many benefits and it's so important for the performance of the asset. Yet, uh, in my experience, what I've seen is lubrication is activity and the term the lube technician is often looked down upon uh, to an extent sure. as compared to a mechanical fitter or an electrician. Uh, why do you think that is the perception uh, for a lube tech, even though we know that lubrication is such an important thing and it has to be done right yeah look that's that's a, a good good question actually i wish i knew the answer right <laughs> i um I, I have the utmost respect for lubrication technicians and in in my more more hands-on experience um, i've treated lubrication technicians um, as, as i would a scientist and i've, I've treated their workspace i.e the lube store um, as a scientific laboratory. Um, and that, that's the respect I have. Why people don't necessarily um, share that, not everyone doesn't, right? But a lot of people, like you say, they talk about the grease monkey um, that gets around it and does that. It's not seen as um, a value-adding activity. And when you compare it to like operational production that are producing, you know, whatever, whatever widgets you're doing, um, that's a value-adding activity, but grease is like, well, it's purely a cost centre um, in, in its like most discrete form, right? You apply your grease or you do your oil change, you're literally just spending money. Um, and there's a lot of misunderstanding, naivety, perhaps ignorance um, as to what that, that, that management task of lubrication is, is providing from a value perspective to, to the organisation. Um, and to combat this, I like to take my clients um, you know, from all levels, from executive right down um, to, to the lowest levels. Um, I like to take my clients through a, a simple two-hour um, lubrication 101 session, which is simply designed to, to break 
innocence um, with respect to lubrication and like just make it it's a, a thing a trade a discipline in its own right and to explain the value and and certainly the, the risks associated with with not doing lubrication properly so it's a good question um and i think yeah there's to boil it all down mate there's a lot of misunderstanding naivety and ignorance there yeah, no, that's a great point that you've made there. Uh, now, with regards to, I guess, understanding the value and the risk that come from not lubricating your asset, uh, how can that be understood by an organization? Let's say there's an organization that is relatively um, young in its um, long term, I suppose, uh, understanding of what reliability is and implementation of an asset management system. How can an organization mm. realize the true value and potential uh, for good lubrication program. Sure, sure. So I suppose, yeah, key with those more, I'd, I'd say with respect, uh, immature organisations, yeah, just like you say, just starting out, um, don't necessarily have that full um, appreciation of, of lubrication. I like to explain, I suppose, a lubrication management system if you like um, as as being a spectrum with a with a left and, and a right arc um, left hand side of that you know and it's at its most basics it's it's simply just applying um, you know the bare minimum that an asset needs to, to function uh, and that's fine for organizations that are just starting out that are fairly mature but the best thing I think about a, a robust lubrication management system is its ability to, to continuously improve using the Deming cycle um, to move along the spectrum, um, ultimately like moving up into what I like to term as the right-hand side of the spectrum into predictive maintenance. And that's really where, you know, rather than just applying a lubricant and walking away and ticking it off, um, a list or a whiteboard or entering it into your CMMS, jumping into the predictive space using oil analysis, using um, grease analysis, the emerging um, technology. There's a lot, a lot of work being done um, on, on grease analysis. Using, using that to, A, understand the condition of the asset that's being lubricated, so i.e. looking at where, where particle, where metal debris um, and understanding where that, that debris is coming from, at what rate that debris is being produced and, and using that to either um, to, to either combat that, that failure mode that may be active or just to manage it in a cost-effective way. You can do that. You also start to treat lubricants as an asset themselves and manage, manage them in looking at the degradation of the, the lubricant itself, i.e. Um, oxidation and, and the total asset number, total base number, looking at um, your additives and seeing, well, additive depletion is, is a thing. Um, a lot of people don't necessarily understand that. So if we've got EP additives in our grease or our oil, those EP additives will degrade over time, just like anything, because guess what? Like nothing's free. Um, so we can start to use you know, our lubrication management system in that predictive space to, to really enhance and there's, yeah, probably optimise um, their asset management uh, once things have settled down from, a, from that left-hand side of just doing the basics, mate. And that's a fantastic answer. Um, I guess as a follow-on to that question, you mentioned that there's a lot of 
there's a predictive maintenance. Um, now, if there's mm. the organization is relatively immature, and if you want to in enhance the, or increase the competency of our workforce, uh, sure. how do we align that um, with the competency piece, with continuously improving the knowledge and incorporating yeah. these uh, predictive methodologies in your maintenance, I guess, arsenal? Yeah, sure, sure. Um, so not, I wouldn't say well-known, but certainly within industry, um, within our industry, so there's an ISO standard um, for condition monitoring and that covers oil analysis, ultrasonics, um, vibration analysis, maybe thermography. Um, there's certainly an asset management, uh, uh, pardon me, an ISO standard um, that, that governs that. And as part of that, there's a competency framework um, attached to those specific condition monitoring um, disciplines, because at the end of the day, condition monitoring um, is is going to form part of your predictive maintenance um, framework, which which is fine. Um, from a lubrication perspective, we we have many, I suppose, avenues from a competency um, perspective. Um, personally, my, myself, um, I'm certified um, through the International Council of Machinery Lubrication, that's ICML, and I'm fortunate enough to to hold the MLT. Um, the MLA, pardon me, so the MLT is the Maintenance um, Machinery Lubrication Technician Qualification. Um, also hold the um, Machinery Lubrication Analyst, which is looking more at that predictive um, space. And then there's also an avenue for um, engineers and almost um, subject matter experts in, in lubrication being the machinery lubrication engineer. So there certainly is some competency um, avenues for, for our people. You don't necessarily have to be an, you don't have to be an engineer. Um, you, you, you probably do need to be at least a, a technician or a tradesperson or a craftsperson, whatever you want to call them. And there certainly is um, those, those frameworks available to them. That being said, um, a, minimum training is required to, to achieve those. And there are numerous um, yeah, authorised training partners with, with ICML throughout, throughout the country, and there's two in Australia. So um, certainly there's avenues there for competency management in lubrication. Probably not well enough known, actually, but um, yeah. look, I think word's getting out there. Now, definitely, that is something that a lot of organisations are looking to do, um, enhance uh, the capability of their workforce. It is getting more and more, uh, I guess, organizations are wanting to be more lean and be on the front foot uh, rather than be yeah, reactive. Absolutely. And with that with that push, like I get the lean thing and not having waste and all that. And I, I do appreciate that. But with that comes risk. And it's it's the management of that risk that's key. And if we're going to, to lean out our organizations, well, we better make sure that we have the right skills and competencies within them and not just saying, well, you know, that person there does that. Well, you know, do they do that, whatever that is? Do they do that well? And do they do, do, they do that to a standard? Um, and, and what is that standard? And is that standard appropriate for our organisation? That is risk management when it comes to, you know, leading out organisations for sure. Yeah, that, that's very well said. Um, now, perhaps it uh, uh, could be a tricky question. Yeah, what do you yeah. think uh, would a good lubrication program look like for, from, from your immature organizations and all the way to your um, best practice organizations? And, and what are some of the good practices for managing your lubricants? 
Okay. All right. Well, it is a tricky question, mate. So thank you um, for this one. Um, I'm going to give I'm going to give a two part answer on this. Sure. I'm going to look at a more ostentatious, high level um, answer to, to this one, and then um, yeah, that'll be quite vague um, and and not very pragmatic. And then I'll give you a much more targeted and pragmatic answer. Um, but I, I work I, I work on this question a lot. Um, in, in my career, um, and despite what many, um, uh, say, lubrication engineers, uh, consultants, or product companies, because let's face it, product companies certainly play a lot in this space, um, what they will tell you typically is that, um, you know, this, this, pardon me, despite what they'll tell you, um, lubrication and lubrication management and all these you know, wonderful things it's not a cookie cutter exercise it's, it's, it's a horses for courses approach and you know what success or what in inverted commas good looks like really that is an output um, of of the organization's asset management system and by that i mean you know what's its asset management objectives what is its asset management strategy and what are the associated plans um, attached to those two so for example um, a, a, an example though those who, who know me um, fairly well will, will have heard this um, there's there's really two um, two operating paradigms that that can be maintained and that is availability um, and maximizing availability or optimizing the cost of goods sold now the, the way i like to explain this is if you're making if you're working in an industry such as certainly in australia um, and throughout asia um, baby formula um, it's it might, might sound sort of funny on, on on the surface but essentially we we can't make enough baby formula to to meet demand um, so demand outstrips supply. So if you can if you can maximise your your output um, of baby formula, you're gonna make money, right? Because you will sell it, right? There is always a customer for baby formula. Um, that that's around maximising availability. Um, now, when it comes and where I'm getting to with this, um, when it comes to your organisation and your organisational context, is you will likely be willing to take on a little bit more risk. To get those dollars, because you know, if you can maximise your availability, i.e., do less maintenance, do the right maintenance, but less of it, you know, you can you can get a short term uh, bump in your in your uh, profit and loss statement. So well done to you. That's that's one operating context. But when it comes to the other one, the cost of goods sold, if um, it is po if it's possible for um, supply to outstrip demand, i.e., you can make too much of something, um, not sell it, not have a customer for it, and therefore it sits in a warehouse and goes bad. Um, that that that's an issue. So you're going to be trying to improve um, your profitability um, through um, doing the right maintenance at, at the right time and trade offs and all these wonderful things. So coming back to the question, actually, is well, a good lubrication management system or program whatever you want to call it is really a function of what your organizational context is now if you've got plenty of time and you don't run on weekends and stuff like that you're going to be lubricating um, you know, your, your assets um, a lot right and, and you can you you can manage that and it's quite simple but if there's just no time to to do these things it's cost prohibitive to put um, 
your automatic lubrication systems in. Basically, the business, the organisation is willing to take on that risk. They've got a high risk appetite, so be it, right? That's an organisational strategic decision. That's what it is. So if you think about it like that, um, in answer to your question, part one, um, it really is a, a function of the organisation's asset management system. Bit more pragmatic now, sort of coming down from that sort of less asset management consultant perspective. Look, uh, a good um, a good lubrication system um, does you know the the right task at the right time with the right amounts um, in the right manner using the right tools. Um, and what that looks like is is ensuring that your lubricant you're using the right lubricant for for starters. You're applying it at the right time. You're applying it to the right place on the asset, i.e. there's, there's labels there. Um, and all that's built um, you know, appropriately from a, from a plan maintenance perspective. That's like at its basic level of what a good uh, lubrication system looks like or, or program looks like. Going further out into the, the right side of that arc that I sort of explained before, um, is really getting into oil analysis, grease analysis, and trying to use your lubrication program to, to inform the what's next for my assets. And that's a bit more of a pragmatic answer for you, mate. We went the long way around there. I yeah. apologise, but um, no, that's those two fine. answers to that one. No, that's fantastic. I think those are some really good points on what a good uh, lubrication program does look like. So, Shane, just to, I, I guess of bringing it to a close now if an organization or if a new engineer wanted to learn more about lubrication and reliability uh, do you have any suggestions for a young engineer stepping into sure. the field of reliability and lubrication they're all falling in right um yeah absolutely <laughs> um well listen to this podcast actually maybe um <laughs> that's you. a good one like check they've, they've tuned in they've, they've got this one yep. um but look Jokes aside, um, and I, I cast my mind back to to myself. Maybe that was a good thing. Maybe not. But um, engaging with um, you know LinkedIn people um, is is really beneficial. Like I, I love just having simple conversations with people that are passionate um, about you know, whatever field of expertise um, that that we're talking about. I think that's a really good thing. If you can find the right people, there's there's plenty of people on LinkedIn. Um, that are willing just to have a chat um, about reliability engineering and lubrication, go for it. I'm one of them. Um, if, if any any of your listeners yeah, just do want to chew the fat about any anything, um, feel free to hit me up. Um, but you know, attending those conferences is is really key. And you know, all, all things aside, that's going on in the world at the moment, um, face to face conferences and, and getting. Um, getting yourself into these presentations, um, listening to the lessons learned from the people, um, networking, those those face-to-face conferences are, are really key for the development of our um, young reliability engineers or, or fresh reliability engineers. Um, reading, reading books um, is, is great. There's a couple of um, good outfits that, you know, just focus on reliability engineering um, books and subject matter, um, which, is, which is great. So get out there and, and read those. Um, get your hands dirty. This is something I'm, I'm pretty passionate about. Um, get in there, 
change, change your bearing with, with your maintenance team, get to learn how things are put together and how they can fall apart. Um, and, you know, find if, if you're struggling to get into the industry is find a maintenance engineering job, help out, get amongst it, help on breakdowns, come in on call-ins and start to learn the trade or the crafts of reliability engineering through, through the maintenance teams would be my advice, actually. Thank you so much. That is some great advice for a young engineer. So even, even for me, I guess, uh, the one key takeaway is getting my hands dirty. Yeah, uh, do it, right? So <laughs> um, Shane, so uh, I'll add your LinkedIn profile link uh, at the bottom of the description of this episode. So if people do want yeah. to get in touch. Um, uh, and before we wrap this episode up, are there any final bits that you would like to add? Um, I suppose, um, I suppose the only thing um, I, I'd like to add there, Akshay, is, is the, I suppose, um, push towards you know, asset management um, excellence. I think, I think that, that, that drive within industry um, specific, um, specifically, you know, um, your, your primary industries um, is, is happening and I, um, I would like to see more emphasis placed um, on incorporating uh, the lubrication management system into that push and applying those you know, asset management principles, you know, not just at that sort of strategic level, but translating those strategic um, requirements of the asset management system down into tactical things where, you know, the things get done that way and, and, and lubrication is one of them. There is a, a, a lovely document um, from the International Council of Machinery Lubrication um, that talks about the, the alignment of a lubrication management system to um, to the ISO 55000 standards for asset management and perhaps we can chuck a link out um, to, to your listeners uh, to get across that and that really represents how um, we can ensure we can apply those asset management principles um, discreetly to, to our lubrication management program mate eh? that's 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 probably the last thing I'd like to leave at least with your listeners with. Fantastic thank you so much Shane I really appreciate uh, you taking time out from a busy schedule um, I'm hoping that I get to speak to you on another episode on lubrication again. Thank you so much, Shane. Yeah, thanks for having me, mate. Really, really, really appreciate it. And um, yeah, if any, any time to come back, I'd, um, I'd love that. It'd be great. Thanks. Fantastic.